Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we're sticking pretty much to breastfeeding. I have two excellent guests whom I'm sure have lots to say to any of you who are going back to work or even if you are already were at work and you have colleagues who are breastfeeding. Uh, I've got two guests who not only know their stuff, but they have written the research themselves. And so I would like to welcome Dr. Jackie Zwang. Dr. Zwang, welcome to the show. Hello, Maria. Thank you. And I would also like to welcome uh, Dr. Joanne uh, Goldberg. Welcome Hi. to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. And I'm sorry, I just said that wrong. It was Goldbort. No problem. Uh, I am very fascinated with the work that you gals have done. This is a very lengthy paper. Um, I spent quite a while reading through it, but let me just tell the audience that what I think was really excellent was that you took on something that is hugely important, and that is the realization that, because so many times people say to me, well, if we just had legislation, if we just had legislation, and as I was reading your paper, it became entirely apparent to me that legislation might be helpful, but there are certain things you cannot legislate, and that comes down to people's behavior. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, um, I, I thought it was interesting that 57% of mothers with young children in the United States are working mothers. And I presume that at least some percentage of that percentage are breastfeeding. Do we have a good statistic on that? And uh, feel free, either one of you can field that question. Mm-hmm. So, Joanne, you want to go ahead first? Um, as far as the percentage of women who are breastfeeding when they return to work, I think that's one of the reasons we had this um, investigation was because depending on how women perceived they were going to be supported uh, was instrumental in whether they went back to work with still breastfeeding or not. Uh, Exclusivity breastfeeding has gone up as far as women who initiate breastfeeding. Um, But as far as the data shows, it seems to vary from state to state state with with the um, uh, percentages. You know, most women are breastfeeding. You've got, I don't have the the number exactly for that when they return to work, uh, but we do find a difference uh, in their decision-making process. Do I breastfeed? or not, depending on what kind of support I will receive when I go back to work. Yes, and I yes. know... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, um, so I, I, I don't have the, uh, like, populational-wide statistics, but just based on our own study with the 500 women, 
Um, so we have 81 women in the 500 participants. They were breastfeeding by the time they participated in our study. So that's what, about 16%? And then uh, okay. um, among... Yeah, and then among the women who were not breastfeeding uh, when participating in our study, uh, we also asked them when did they stop breastfeeding, and uh, so we have some numbers for you. Um, so we have about a quarter of the women who were not breastfeeding when participating in our study uh, stopped breastfeeding um, two to three months after they returned back to work. Um, okay. And then we have 80 participants, so that's another 16%. They stopped right before returning to work. Um, and we have about 60 participants. Um, they either stopped within the first month after they returned back to work or within uh, between the first and second month. So you can see that returning to work is a very uh, impactful factor for women to decide whether they want to continue breastfeeding or not. I would agree. Uh, I was very fascinated by all that you had to say. And by the way, you brought up some words and some concepts that I hadn't even thought about in a long time. Uh, I hadn't thought about stigma. I hadn't thought about the ick factor, nor was I aware of where that term actually started. Uh, But anyway, uh, I thought that you outlined very well the three factors that influence women's breastfeeding practice. And uh, could you talk about each of those three factors, please? Sure. Um, so initially, um, so my my own uh, well, so Joanne can can um, add um, uh, her expertise, uh, but my own uh, research expertise actually started from health stigma. Um, so I have looked at stigma in a variety of health topics, but like the term um, in terms of breastfeeding stigma, um, that kind of really fascinates me. Um, so the, the word stigma actually from uh, was was originated uh, from Goffman's idea. So it was almost 60 years ago um, the term was already uh, 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 invented. So the idea started by the sense that um, people who um, have discredited uh, social values kind of bear social stigma. Um, so something like slaves or, um, so that's why a lot of people with HIV or mental health, they bear social stigma. Um, so in terms of breastfeeding, like the literature kind of talks about the idea of uh, stigma here and there, but they haven't really systematically looking at this concept. Um, yeah. So that's why I started to become very interested in this topic. Um, yeah, and uh, and in terms of eek. Um, factors. So, ick is a more um, like emotional um, type of reaction towards a um, external stimuli. So, so when people think about like breastfeeding, like especially public breastfeeding or breastfeeding a toddler, that's when people feel like the impulsive reaction. Like, ew, so something like that. So, so we were just wondering like if we are going to treat it as a as an affective factor, how is that going to influence um, their decision um, about whether they want to either support women to continue to breastfeed or they want, like, if the women themselves are breastfeeding, whether they want to continue? Um, 
I really um, thought a lot about this, Jackie, because you said in your paper that the the phrase the ick factor began mm-hmm. when people started talking about organ transplant. And as a nurse, mm-hmm. I, mean, I just think organ transplant, you, you do it or you don't do it or whatever, but I would never think of that as icky. And then yeah. I certainly would not think about uh, expressing milk out of your breasts as icky, but clearly mm-hmm. some people do. And yeah. I realized that if it's really not just about the act, although certainly in your paper you did talk about the fact that, yes, these women had to take extra time, or uh, and I'll, I'll let you tell the audience about that, but, but that some people, it just wouldn't have mattered because they had this ick factor uh, on mm-hmm. their mind. Yeah. I think... Um, to answer part of that, uh, Marie, is due to the fact that in our society, we have sexualized the breast. And sure. so for women to be going, it, you, we'll talk about the workplace, uh, you know, she's taking this break to pump her breast, denotes all kinds of negative type of connotations. And so you have these individuals, um, both males and females, who the thought of someone going into a room and using a pump to excrete this bodily fluid, again, just brings up those negative connotations that we have related to. And, and I agree with you. I think as nurses, we, we kind of normalize so many things. Um, mm-hmm. And we forget about that that negative uh, possibility. But it, it's there. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's alive and well. Oh, yes. And I was also thinking that not very long ago, a woman was talking to me about her colleagues calling it just exactly what you just said just now, uh, the excretion, uh, bodily fluids. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) and so the fact that even the words that we use to refer to human milk. Yes. Yes. uh, there's a lot, we got a lot of work to do. I don't think any of us are ever going to be bored from here until the time we retire. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and, I, and I think the other problem that we have is not just the sexualization of, of our breasts, but we have a long standing history of at least 100 years where formula feeding was more of the socially acceptable norm. And so as research demonstrates the health benefits to breastfeeding to both mom and baby, and then you have the baby friendly initiatives where we have more hospitals becoming designated as such, which is a very rigorous process. Yeah. We're, we're getting more into that normalization, but it's going to take a while for people to get some of these thoughts out of their, their preconceived ideas and notions as, about breastfeeding. Oh, absolutely. So, so, so absolutely true. You said that there were three factors that emerged as important elements in the breastfeeding experience. Job demands job resources, and breastfeeding demands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, Sure. Um, So the job uh, job resource, actually, um, this is something that we try to focus on in our paper. Um, So whenever we think about resources, we really think about more uh, physical, right, Um, like accommodation. Um, So whether a company or an organization has a mothering room, or whether they have uh, the, the electronic uh, pumping, like milk pumping device. 
But actually more than that, it can be much more than that. So whether my colleague is willing to take on my work um, when I need to go for a, for a break to, to uh, pump my breast milk, um, that's considered as a resource. Um, and also when we think about women's, um, the demand that they face after they um, have the baby and return back to work, um, like I, ha- I have two kids and I know it's hard to keep the balance. On one hand, I can now compromise my job productivity, but on the other hand, I have a lot of other um, obligations at home that I need to fulfill. Um, so, but that's not something that we are trying to we are trying to focus on in the paper. So we are looking at, in addition to the physical accommodation, whether there are some other resources that um, the a workplace can provide to to women who are lactating, um, so that they can help them navigate through the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, did you find differences in a? I'm sure you must have, with uh, natural mm-hmm. birth versus cesarean. How did that work out? Sorry, um, I don't think we investigated that out. specifically. Okay. But um, I do know from my experience as of working in the hospital as a uh, lactation counselor for years um, that, again, with, with the uh, advent of not Advent, but but the um, initiation of a lot of baby-friendly hospitals. We're starting to see uh, how both women who give birth uh, physiologically without pain medication or an epidural versus a woman who goes in and has a cesarean delivery, that the efforts for these um, uh, initiations of getting breastfeeding started has increased. The problem, though, when you think about it, there's only about... 28% 28% of our hospitals in the country who are designated as baby friendly. So that support that gets women started, gets the initiation and exclusive breastfeeding going. Um, the important thing that we looked at is how does that carry in then to the workforce? You know, most places by by law uh, are supposed to have, um, the federal law has stated that we should have a medical leave, which was done in 1993, of 12 weeks of unpaid maternity leave. But there are many reasons that a woman returns to work sooner. Financials are usually the, the most uh, pressing one. And because of that, then that starts to perhaps interfere. The exclusivity rate decreases. Women start supplementing or changing to formula. And that's where we found that this, what we needed to find out then, when a woman returns to work, what type of social support is she getting from her coworkers? Absolutely. I was thinking too, and we don't have time to handle this before we go to break, but on the other side of the break, maybe we can talk about this. So I'll just do a little lead in here. I was thinking that the type of work that I might be doing would, in my mind at least, impact my comp very differently. So if oh, I yeah. If I'm a labor and delivery nurse, yeah, I've got to get another nurse to take care of my patient. But if I'm a computer programmer, well, you know, probably right. I can leave my, my computer and probably, you know, 15 or 20 minutes later, it's still going to be there and nobody's got to really take over for me. And so it seems to me, too, that it's it's hard sometimes to understand what, if any, the impact is on the colleagues, but clearly their uh, pushback is uh, very apparent from what you found in your research. Hey, everybody, do not go away. 
I'm Marie Biancuto, and I am here today with Dr. Joanne Goldbart and also with Dr. Jackie Zwang. We will be right back talking about women in the workplace. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Jackie Zwang and also with her colleague, Dr. Joanne Goldbort. And they are talking to us about women in the workplace, that is, women who are breastfeeding. Although, uh, let me be quick to say that their studies looked at more than just women. But anyway, uh, Dr. Zwang, can you talk to us about what you really found in that study that is especially important for the rest of us to understand. Okay, thanks, Maria. Absolutely. 
Um, so I think a couple of things that I really want to highlight in that paper and also in the companion paper that we did, uh, including both male and female coworkers, is that women really think coworker support plays an important role on top of whether the organization provides uh, paid maternity leave, whether they have a mothering room, whether they have a, a, a pumping the place for them to pump breast milk. They really see the importance of the coworker support. And also something interesting that we found um, uh, across the studies is the idea of efficacy. So the idea of efficacy is uh, people's perception about their ability and confidence to do something. And what we found in the study is when women actually perceive that they get a lot of social, uh, a, a lot of support from their coworkers, they really have stronger efficacy, which will lead them to continue to breastfeed um, their baby after they return back to work. Um, so I think this is a, um, a real contribution to the literature as well as to the practice is the idea that we, we not only need to educate employers and say it is important for your organization to have all those accommodating uh, facilities, but also to educate the coworkers in terms of their significant role in helping and sustaining their female co- colleagues to continue the, the practice that is good for their kids. When you talk about the um, <clears throat> support of these co-workers, did you look at whether or not the co-workers had actually breastfed themselves, and did that make any difference? Well, we actually um, look at whether uh, uh, women who, with, so the, the, the participants who had breastfed before themselves, versus yes. women who never breastfed, right? So we compare right. those two groups. And we actually found that women who um, breastfed themselves before, they are more likely to give support to other women who are breastfeeding than women yeah. who never breastfed. Um, so be, absolutely, yes. that plays a role. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yes. You know, I can remember years ago working with a nurse who apparently she had breastfed, but her attitude about breastfeeding was so terrible. I guess she had a terrible experience or something, but the way in which she projected that onto other people, meaning clients, colleagues, etc., was was pretty big, you know? Absolutely. Um, did you find a difference? Because I know that you looked at both men and women, that is, men who were the colleagues and women who were the colleagues. Um, how did those differences play out? Yeah, that's a good question. So so we look at both male and female colleagues in a separate paper. And what, uh, what we found, let me just uh, uh, kind of summarize the finding. A little bit. Okay. So what we found was the male colleagues actually they had higher eek responses than female, uh, and they definitely showed higher stigma, stronger stigma um, than female participants. Um, and they also perceived that uh, covering a covering the work for a lactating female colleague is less fair. Um, and as a result of it, uh, male colleagues show less intention to support lactating um, uh, colleagues uh, in the workplace. Um, so we got a lot of things to do with the male uh, male coworkers here. 
Most mm. definitely. And Jackie, were you able to tell if those, if you probably didn't, uh, if those were specific comments or was it just uh, their general mm-hmm. attitude? Did you find out anything about that? Yeah, so um, in our study, actually, we did a quantitative study, so we didn't have much textual data yeah. to tell yeah. whether there was a specific behavior or whether was there was a specific comment um, uh-huh. um, that led people to that perception. But but that's a really good comment. We we I, I hope in the future we can look into it. Yeah, I was. I was thinking that it was not a qualitative study, so you probably didn't, but it just occurs to me, having been in the workplace myself, that sometimes it's not what people say. It's just the way they look at you or... Absolutely. Yes, those nonverbal cues can send out big, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, you know. And and actually, the support... To support what Jackie said, two out of three men actually had, or the males that we had in our study, uh, had this aversion to women who were either going to pump their breast or, you know, the stigma associated with it. So uh, we've got some work to do. We need work, you know, we need Mm. to support from both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about one time when... um, I was actually at uh, Georgetown University Hospital, and I got this call from my husband about a woman he was working with. And, of course, he's an engineer. He doesn't know anything about breastfeeding. <laughs> he, says, he says to her, this is not right. You need some help. I need to call my wife right now. <laughs> uh, I just remember yeah. what a transformation it was for him and that, from what I could tell, rubbed off a little bit on his male colleagues. They didn't feel mm-hmm. that they had to know anything about it, but they understood that it was important. And at some gut level, I feel like maybe that's really the crux of it, is mm-hmm. that breastfeeding has not been valued. And so it's like, oh, she's just doing that thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, as I said earlier, um, you know, we've, we're in a culture, we're in a transition where we're going from a formula feeding culture to a breastfeeding culture. Right. And that shift is still, you know, women are trying to, in general, trying to accept the, the studies, the research, the evidence that demonstrates the benefits to mother and child. Uh, but the flip side to that then is this pendulum swing. We still have individuals uh, and rightfully so, who choose to formula feed or not to breastfeed. But I think there's always that underlining uh, uh, premise that, well, you can bottle feed, so right. why are you making such a big deal big out deal of it? Yeah, I right. totally agree. Yes, yeah. because people see mm-hmm. it as equivalent. So why would you bother to do this? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the other thing, um, I know our, our, our study is on co-worker support for breastfeeding, um, for pumping milk at work. The word break is really, if you ask women who are working and pumping at work to, to keep their milk supply going, it's never a break. 
Because right. what they're experiencing, number one, is a lot of anxiety about how much time they're going to take to get all of this milk out that they need to pump. And so that will also influence perhaps the amount of milk that she may get. So there's a lot of stress and, and uh, anxiety related to this. To some, you know, depending again, like you mentioned earlier, Marie, there are some organizations and some in the, in the research supports this, depending on how large the company is that you work for um, you know what are you a blue collar or a white collar those old yeah. terminology worker you may oh, have more, less less stress in doing that but for those who are frontline workers working on assembly lines or, or doing any type of work where you leave that does make a difference and so you get this anxiety of having to quickly mm-hmm. go in and pump and first you got to have your equipment and then you got to make sure you have a room to go to even right. though the law says that you must have a um a private room where there's no, um, there, it's, it can't be a bathroom and it can't be a right. closet, that only 26% of those in our study had a place where they could go and pump their breasts uh, without feeling rushed or it, they were in a comfortable uh, place to do it. So there's a lot of issues in the envi- uh, workplace environment that need to be addressed. I was also thinking, since you started throwing out the statistics there, uh, you mentioned that if, that 25% of the colleagues were not supportive of breastfeeding. And then you gave the example in your paper of, so if you work with 100 people, that means that you've got to face 25 people who are not supportive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yes. That's a lot. That's really that a lot. lot. I think of small companies. That is a lot. But the flip side, I, I totally agree with that. It really got my attention. But the flip side of that is um, I certainly have worked in major medical centers where there are probably thousands of people. But in truth, I'm only facing, you know, like elbowing with 50 of them or something. But I realized that even if you work in a small office and you've got only five employees, hello, yes, that's still 25%, mm-hmm. which means that one person could be the biggest thorn in your side and they can right. really they can yes. really make it rough Exactly. Exactly. All they have to do is give you that look when you get up yep. to go to pump your breasts, and and that ha- that speaks volumes. These women are feeling guilty in the the fact that they want and need to do this, especially as medical uh, and healthcare providers are stating you need to breastfeed, and you want they want you to do exclusive for six months. So you have women returning to work four weeks, some sooner, some a little later if they have a good policy benefit plan. Um, mm-hmm. And they're under the gun and their milk supply goes down because they're so stressed. You know, all those feelings that women have when they're doing something, they feel that they're being, someone's watching them, they're looking at the clock, you know, they're under the gun. And that really has a, a major impact then on how do we get women who want to, number one, breastfeed, do exclusive breastfeeding for six months. If you are working in a setting where you just, know, you can feel that tension in the air. Oh, she gets a break and I, and I don't. I think that's really important to break mm-hmm. out that because it is not a break. And I, for instance, will uh, suggest to women that they bring finger food so that they can have their sandwich and have their hands kind of free at the same time. It's not, and and use one of those uh, hands-free pumps. 
Yeah. Though yeah. any though any of those kinds of things I suggest because it is not a break. You've got to do about eight different things <laughs> while you're on your quote break. Exactly. So mm-hmm. The break is absolutely a misnomer. And so I give you a lot of credit for recognizing that and bringing that out today with, with what we're discussing. Um, I would also yeah. like to see that, I don't know if you ran into this, but there are some women who, for one reason or another, it's really not, uh, if, even if it's not a matter of finances, there are other reasons why women need to return to work early. I'm thinking about some of these photos that I've seen of these actresses that have to get their body back in shape and shooting for the whatever it is series starts at thus and such a time. Well, you know, mm-hmm. if, if that's mm-hmm. what you do, then that's when you've got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think really lends a lot of credibility to the Mm -hmm. idea that it's not just about when you go back to work. It's about when you do go back to work, you've got to have a place to be. You've got to have supportive colleagues, or if you don't have supportive colleagues, you at least got to have colleagues who don't undermine you or make you feel weird. Uh, There's just so much going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly. Yeah, uh, something that, so something that I would like to, to add or comment on is actually in, in our uh, study, the, the number one reason for women to go back to work was really not because of the finance, financial reason. It's uh-huh. truly because they love their work. They love to work. Sure. Um, so, so which is great, right? Uh, which is great. Um, so so I, think, I think part of it, so as Joanne also mentioned, um, something like even your colleagues, just the one look or when you take the, the breast milk pump out and they just uh, purely out of curiosity and say, what is it? I mean, <laughs> yes. as, as yes. mom, right? Like, like they can be very sensitive, um, especially during that, you know, stage of life. And uh, I think the colleague, from the colleague's perspective, it's probably purely a curiosity, uh, a question. Um, sure. But from the women's perspective, but they are like they probably give give a second second thought, right? Um, right? And that can really deter them from say, oh, oh, probably it's not a approval of what I'm doing here, so I shouldn't do it. Um, yeah, so I just want to mention that as well. Oh, I think that's a huge point because. You know, even in other contexts, people will ask us something and it's 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 curiosity or it's just, uh, you know, idle, whatever. And it comes out of their mouth and they think it's okay. And then some of us will take offense because it feels mm-hmm. malicious and it isn't necessarily intended to be that way. But as you Absolutely. very well point out, yeah, as you very well point out, Jackie, certainly uh, postpartum women are usually more sensitive, but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, it's, as my old boss used to say, it's the encoding and the decoding. <laughs> they, <laughs> they might not have intended mm-hmm. for it. Uh, to be encoded as offensive, but it was decoded that way. Hey, everybody, don't go away because when we get back on the other side of the break, I want to ask uh, Jackie and uh, Joanne if they will talk about how do we teach these people, how do we help them to be more sensitive colleagues because the fact of the matter is we've all got to help each other. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Jackie Zwang and with Dr. Joanne Goldbort. Uh, before we begin on this Hello. segment, I would just like to remind everybody, 
If you need more information on this or any of the other topics that we have gone through in the last, yes, uh, last five years, uh, (laughs) there are more programs, more guests, but also you should know that I blog every Tuesday and Friday religiously. Every morning, I uh, well, every Tuesday and Friday morning, I release a 700-word blog. That takes about three minutes of your time to get up to speed with whatever it is that might be on my mind because it might be on your mind. And I usually try to give some helpful hints about how we can uh, help ourselves, help our daughters, help our colleagues or whoever it is. So with that said, that brings me to where I really want to go today, which is this sounds like a massive project of where we really need to help people who are in the workplace, and I don't mean just the mothers, certainly the mothers, yes, but how do we help the bosses, the colleagues, the underlings, the whoever it is, how do Mm -hmm. people like you and I help them to be more supportive to breastfeeding mothers or at least not be derogatory with the ick factor, the stigma, etc.? This is Joanne. So, Number one, in our study, we did show that twenty about 26% of the organizations uh, across the country that we looked at did not have a room for a mother to uh, go and use in a private way. Nobody, you know, again, as I said earlier, it's, it can't be a closet. It can't be a bathroom. And this has actually been um, from the Affordable Care Act a, in 2010, initiation that was started. So, Number one, we need to get the room. We need to have a place for a woman to go and privately uh, do what she needs to do. And this can take anywhere. It depends on the woman's letdown reflex. It could be 10, 15 minutes. It could be up to a half an hour. Uh, And maybe she'll take fewer breaks. It all depends on, you know, again, what's going on with her milk supply. So that's number one. Number two, there should be policies in place that upper administration... uh, Uh, support and they also have to enforce so that you know a woman has if she feels that she's not being supported um, if we're going to be a breastfeeding culture that we're trying to uh, encourage our moms and and parents and families to get involved in then there's got to be some um, a little bit of bite into into that support by administration Uh, and maybe it even starts with them Uh, we have a, a congresswoman who brought her child to, um, uh, I I believe she was Congress or Senate, I'm not sure, but she brought her child in and didn't have a problem with with taking care of of feeding her child. We can offer Mm -hmm. some um, practical help. You know, we're talking about the looks that a woman will get. Let's give some words of encouragement. Oh, you know, I'm really glad to see that you're doing that. It must be difficult, but I'm, you know, go ahead, I'll cover while you're gone, not a problem. Um, you know, just those little supportive words that means and speaks volumes. Absolutely. Um, yes. And then uh, allow these individuals to, you've got to also have now, if a woman comes to work, and we all know when we're rushed, especially if we have another child at home or two, and we're trying to pump, she forgets her, her the little freezer bag that she oh. could put the milk in. Right. Do we have a place that she could put this milk in the refrigerator or a freezer or whatever she needs to do? I mean, these are just small items. Um, I know here at the university where I work, uh, we got a lactation room. 
uh, by a contributor that I was asked one day, hey, we've got someone who wants to contribute for um, for breastfeeding. What, do you, what, what does the college need? And I say, we need a room. We need a room uh-huh. that is special for her. And, uh, you know, it has a comfortable chair. You're supposed to have access to washing your hands. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Maybe she, if she can plug in her computer, if she's using a computer for her work, she won't even have to take a break. Like you mentioned earlier, Marie, she can use that double-breasted, I hate to say it that way, pump, and then get done a little more efficiently. So, but words of encouragement, especially uh, providing that space uh, and, and just taking away those negative nods, those are just the, the starting points. Absolutely. Jackie, can mm-hmm. you think of anything? Yeah, I think I think what Joanne just said was really good, but I, I think I would like to add uh, maybe two points. So right. the very first one is when we talk about social support, um, so in addition to, like, emotional support, right, give some compliment or, you know, when the women are in a – in a in a, a down very down upset situation, like give them encouragement. Um, I think something the coworker can also provide is a emotion uh, informational support. So yes. so oh yes. So if we can educate the coworkers and tell them, hey, we have these resources at our company, and our our women uh, colleagues might not know, but. Like you probably want to have those in your mind, and when someone in your office, you know, run into that situation, give them information support. And it's very interesting that in one of our studies, we we see a lot of people they don't know what kind of information um, available for those uh, new mothers uh, working at their company. Um, so I think that's one thing. And the other thing is, um, I, I think it's probably as a result of. Uh, stigmatization of uh, uh, pumping breast milk at workplace is people are reluctant to talk about this topic, right? So it's not just a topic that people normally talk about. Um, So I think one thing that probably uh, can start working on is to normalize the conversation about breastfeeding at workplace because it's just a part of the women's life Um, and it's part of you know, every baby's life. Um, so I think if we can like start to normalize the topic in the workplace, that helps too. I would agree. And I would say, look at the how we talk about how are your kids? Your kids are going to kindergarten or your kids are going to summer camp or whatever. We have those little conversations. Mm-hmm. We do. But somehow the breastfeeding thing is uh, off off limits, but it should not be, I would agree, uh, integrating that, mobilizing, as you said. And, you know, there's another thing that comes to my mind, which I guess is just having been a nurse for so many years, I hear people talk about little doodaddy things that it seems to me like some sort of a suggestion box. Now, I know, well, people don't really think too much about suggestion box. You know, if you go to the YMCA, there's always a thing in the locker room that says, put your suggestions here. But but it needs to somehow have a little bit more uh, importance or clout or something. For example, I can think of one woman who told me about their mother room, lactation room, whatever you want to call it. And it actually sounded quite nice, except that she said the way that the door was and the way that the door swung made it so that if uh, the door swung opened suddenly that everybody in the hallway could see you. All right. Mm. And so it's sort of those things, I use that as just one example, 
But clearly, somebody had had the foresight and the commitment to make a nice room. But mm-hmm. these these smaller things that matter to mothers, was it a big fix? Uh, I'm not an architect. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you, you get where I'm going is that, that some of these things are fairly easy uh, to, to remedy. Or maybe you're a person who has an office but somebody else has only a cubicle. Well, then can you put a note up that says if if you need a place to go uh, and there's no other place, my, my office is available to you. Um, it just seems like there's got Not to be, yeah, some ways to uh, think out of the box a little bit here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but having this conversation go underground is just not going to work. I want to go back to the policy. Uh, Joanne, I think maybe you mentioned that uh, I have written so many hospital policies, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear you. I've done the same. <laughs> but in, in saying that, while my pen may be the one that is working or my keyboard may be the one that is working, the truth of the matter is it has been my experience that when one person writes a policy, it just doesn't work. It right. really has to be a group right. effort, and you've got to get buy-in. Right. Uh, do either one of you have some suggestions for how to get buy-in, how to get people on this policy writing committee? Because I think that that's a huge part of getting people to realize that, uh, as you said, it needs to be, what were your words here, created and enforced. Exactly. Uh, I think it's harder to enforce it when they have not been part of the creativity, but go ahead. Well, I can talk from the acute care hospital setting since that's where most of my work has been in the last 35 years. And in organizations, hospitals where you have shared governance, you can start, uh, you know, getting, because this has to be a policy just similar to what they do with baby-friendly designation right. initiatives. Right. You can't, you're not just talking about the OB department, you're talking about the whole hospital. Absolutely. So you need representation from housekeeping, dietary, uh, administrators, you know, senior level administrators. Um, you need everyone across the board, pharmacist, pharmacist. Uh, physical therapist, representation so that because there's always going to be, it can't just be that small group, as you mentioned earlier, that you work with, that you rub elbows with. Big deal. It's an organizational um, uh, type of situation that needs to be supported and embraced and and give women the opportunity for those who are coming back. Uh, you know, again, as we mentioned earlier, some women come back to work because of financial reasons. A lot more come back because they like their job. But in our study, the women who felt that they were supported by their supervisors, by their co-workers, knew that they would be able to continue with this exclusive breastfeeding um, uh, criteria that has been set uh, by the American Academy of Pediatrics, World Health Organization, and others. So it's got to be, again, I can. it's got to be system-wide. Uh, and, you know, I think, again, in most academic settings, you have your office, uh, you know, so, Jackie, you can speak to that also, but um, mm-hmm. you do have that private space. Uh, and your hours Absolutely. are a little more flexible. But when you look at the corporate world, uh, and again, small, whether it's a small group or, or a business or a large group, it's got to be across across all all areas. 
Yes. This this reminds me yeah. so much you mentioned the uh, baby friendly as you probably know I was president of Baby Friendly USA for more than a decade. Oh. So no, I did uh, not know that. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, now, of course, I do a little bit of consulting around that because I'm no longer involved with the organization. And uh-huh. I can't tell you how many times people say to me, well, which ones of our staff do we have to to uh, train? <laughs> all of them. All staff. <laughs> what part of all don't you understand? <laughs> and I've never been so crude as to say that, but I'm really thinking because, folks, it doesn't work if you've got just a few passionate people or worse yet one lone ranger it just doesn't work you know exactly uh gotta get it across the board yeah so anyway uh dr swing um joanne and i took over for a moment there before we go out do you have some (laughs) final thoughts you'd like to add yeah, well, I, I think Joanne covered most of it, um, but I think I think I want to kind of follow up on what you just said um, about like jumping out of the box and see, yeah. you know, what what we can do given the overall uh, policy structure that we have here. Um, so I, I, I think you know our study really showed the idea that on top of supervisors' support. Coworker support is a huge deal. It really is. I think I think something that we we want to try to do is um, um, because as I mentioned, I do some stigma work, and uh, so we also look at different uh, like the stigma at different levels. Um, yes. So it's something like the metal, right? Like the interpersonal. So we see like women get a lot of support from their family members, which is great. Um, but when they also encounter the situation where the family members really support, but the coworkers are kind of mediocre, um, that really uh, like would set them back. Um, mm-hmm. I think if right. we again going back to the to the idea, if we can educate the coworkers and say, well, we are here as a whole, as a as a unity, that we can make our organization better. So instead of like framing help uh, uh, help a breastfeeding uh, a colleague as a way to sacrifice your time or sacrifice your own work, like think about think frame it in a in a more positive way. Um, I think that would, you know, help. Um, so that's just a final thought. Yeah, and, you know, I think that people need to be aware that this woman is helping to grow the next generation. She's leaving the world better than she found it. And uh, that's a piece that somehow gets lost. Uh, This has been just a hugely interesting hour where we've really talked a lot about what's going on, how women feel, what is there, what isn't there, support, lack thereof, and the fact that some of this is going to be, you know, as, as the old saying goes, the first step to change is awareness. And I think you and your papers have helped, not done everything, but certainly helped towards bringing all of us to a greater awareness. And we have much, much further to go. Thank you so much right. to Dr. Jackie Zawang and to Dr. Joanne Goldborg. Thank you so much for being Thank with me Thank you very today. much, Marie. Thank uh, you. Thank Enjoy you. it. Oh, I'm so glad. And for those of you who are listening, I'm Marie Biancuto. Keep doing what you're doing, whether you're at home or in the workplace. And just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. (laughs) 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 